0: You're listening to Two Girls, One
1: Crossword.
0: Good morning, world. It is Chelsea. It's Grace. (laughs) We're here, ready to record. This is the Good Evening Girls. We are the Good Evening Girls, and you're listening to Two Girls, One Crossword. They already know that. Okay. (laughs) Well, that's (laughs) our theme song. Oh, true. Well, I had to fill in the the airwaves here because we didn't have any cute, funny banter about like sleep problems or whatever this we morning. We did yeah. because I wanted to start the show saying "Good morning, world." I know you started it so peppy. I know. Well, you have to. I just finished listening to a podcast about L. Ron Hubbard and Scientology, and like part of this, I guess, is what is it called? Chaos magic, where you can just like flip the script. So if you're feeling like really tired, you just tell yourself, "No." I'm not tired, and then you're not tired.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's called manifestation. Thoughts become things. Prayers. Prayering. Prayering and manifestation is the same thing. It's yeah, all same. L.
0: Ron Hubbard is a scam artist. Yeah, but don't
1: give anyone money to tell you that. That's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's what makes Scientology a scam. Among other things, you should, tol-
0: you should listen to this podcast about would you LRH, be a- as they call him.
1: I feel like I've done a lot of Scientology research. This one is really funny. Would you be a Scientologist if it meant our podcast would become super successful? No. Like they helped Tom Hanks? No. Why? Because then you owe them?
0: It costs so much money, first of all, and also it's super homophobic, racist, and abusive. I just couldn't.
1: My moral compass just okay. will never right itself. <laughs> all right. So she's like rolling her eyes first. like, shut so we're up. We're not going to be Scientologist. <laughs> I would pretend to be one. It's impossible. To pretend? No. Well, I mean, I no, like because
0: you're, then they'll squirrel you out. They'll find you I'll be like, and they'll destroy you. That's like their whole MO is like if you pretend well, to be a Well, they haven't destroyed
1: Lisa Reming. Who the heck is Lisa Reming? From King of Queens, that she was a Scientologist, and then she left, and now she's saying all this, like, bad stuff about them, and she's like, I ain't scared of them. Well, it is different now in the the age of the
0: internet, for sure. But, like, back in the day before internet, like, was huge, if you left
1: Scientology, it was... They would, like, stalk you. Well, I'm not going back in time to join (laughs) Scientology.
0: (laughs) Well, if you are a real Scientologist, then you can go back into past lives, Grace. Anyway. Sounds like Uh, you're a Scientologist. No, I'm just all riled up because I've been listening to this podcast. All right, let's just hop into it. We have a couple corrections corners this morning. Oh, yeah, I have a corrections corner. Oh, you go. Well, you go first. Okay, fine, fine, fine. I'm going first. Okay, so first, I just want to clarify last episode, I said that the Earth was a demon hellhole, and I had someone tell me that, quote, Earth is not a demon hellhole, Earth is fine, we're the assholes, did you even watch our planet? So, (laughs) I just want to clarify, I do not think that Earth itself is... A demon hell hole I think that we're all shitty people <laughs> living in a shitty time and okay <laughs> that's
1: that <laughs> um, okay my corrections corner is for my friend from Michigan who listened to um I think I forget which podcast it was oh I think it was the Lake Michigan one that we were talking about Michigan <laughs> sure okay Mackinac Island is pronounced Mackinac okay Mackinac is so much better I know They rhymes um Alpena, Michigan is Alpena, not Alpena. Bessie the monster is in Lake Erie. I knew there was a monster. And um, I don't know. She said if you talk about the Great Gitchy Goomy, you have to play this song. that she sent me a song. I don't know what that is. That I'm sure that's like a Bessie the monster thing. Okay. Well, maybe it's not. Then she's gonna tell me. But anyways, so, we'll put it on
0: our blog. Yeah. great get you goomy no i'll do it grace won't i'll do
1: it (laughs) so shout out to rose for those michigan thanks rose
0: (laughs) um one last correction is um we will shorts last name is actually shorts with a z so thanks for that yeah um with the name that's a showbiz name that's showbiz baby will shorts grace shorts he was born for greatness
1: yeah you know, he went to IU. He made his own major in puzzles. Blah blah blah. And they all laughed at him.
0: <laughs> I still laugh and at him. And who's laughing now? <laughs> Me. <laughs> he thinks he's big man on a campus because he can make his own major. Well, guess what, Will? You're not. I got Don't.
1: Anything.
0: I'm not, I'm not I'm not trying to call anybody out. I did that once before and I think I lost a listener because of it.
1: <laughs> yeah, try not to pick fights with people. Not, not today. Not today. Okay. So, hits and shits. Let's do it. Uh, the only shit I had, what what day was that? The Monday crossword with the dots? No, that was Tuesday. The points? Yeah, pointillism. Okay, I didn't like that because I didn't get it. Yeah, <laughs> well, no, I, it I don't know us, enough about... It took
0: us a bit to get the, the revealer, which was pointillism. Yeah. And, um, I mean, everybody knows this artist. They probably just don't know his name is George Seurat. And it's that famous painting, like, at a park with the woman. She has the umbrella, and they're like... By the water. Yeah. You know? Um, afternoon
1: something. Isn't it other. the one that Ferris Bueller stares at? It might be. Great. Now I said then someone's gonna be like, nah, 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 nah. We suck, guys. Let us know. I think
0: it is. <laughs> anyway, so the the clue was twenty four across technique uh so no the what was the revealer? It was like all Oh the- yeah, technique employed in the painting hidden in this puzzle. The revealer was pointillism, and the answer was, for 56 across, was artist who created the painting hidden in this puzzle was George Seurat. Um, and they used all these dots to kind of, like, spell out the title of the painting, which was an afternoon and the whatever, whatever, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I was going to start with this. <laughs> um and first of all, we do the crossword hard copy in pen. Yeah, and not to brag, but... If either of us are writing at any given moment or if somebody else kind of, like, picks up the crossword throughout the day and fills something in, people, like, write over the dots, you know? And, like, yeah. after we even got the the themed clues, we the, the dots were gone. It was, like... There was no real effect. And I was like, wait, do we connect the dots? I know. Is this like a a paint-by-numbers thing? It just kind of felt, like, kitschy, but not in, like, a good way. I don't know.
1: I don't know. I feel like, yeah. I don't mind a puzzle like that, but, yeah, I don't know.
0: It didn't sit with us. Yeah. And for a
1: Tuesday, I was like, come on. Like, leave me Yeah, it's too much for a Tuesday. Maybe on a Thursday
0: I'd be more accepted. Right. Um. Anyway, so there was another clue in the Tuesday crossword that – was, like, weird. It was 53 down. What, is the, French, the, what the French pronounce Louis, Louis with that the English do not, and the answer is a long E. First of all, the clue was worded so freaking
1: weird. Yeah. Wasn't there another one, too, where the answer was long? Yeah,
0: and that was on um, Monday, and that was 29 down, the fourth letter of circle, but not the first, which was hard C. How do you feel about cl- clues that have those types of answers like hard c or like long o or whatever
1: um i don't like them because i don't know what like long O. I i mean i guess i can guess what it means but so the louie and lou Louis and lewis or right how, what's the english pronunciation lewis. lewis yeah so that's the long e i would say like the the english pronounce the s Right. I don't know. It's like It
0: says what the French pronounce Louis with that the English do not. So they pronounce it with a long E. So a long E,
1: e is E. A no right. regular E is just A.
0: Yeah. I don't know. I think it's kind of, I mean, obviously with crosswords, they're going to be, they're not like 100% inclusive. Like if you're, if I like go to Paris and I try to do their crosswords, I won't know it, how to do it because one, I don't speak French and two, I don't know like their culture or yeah. their trivia, whatever. But I just feel like there's something about language in crosswords that this feels a little bit discriminatory for various dialects of the English language you know what I mean I don't know like how do you know what a long e is if you don't speak standard American English you know like Spanglish or Taglish or like we talked about this or even like Ebonics, you know yeah. I don't know. I just every time I see that I'm just like is there not something else you could have done there or like maybe maybe I'm complaining for no reason. Yeah, I, mean, I
1: don't know. I think like it's like you said though if you went to France you wouldn't expect them to like no. cater to like a French English speaker. No, for sure, but it's always, like in a Fr- French newspaper, <clears throat> I know. Guess, yeah. If it was written in like a you know, whatever the newspaper is right. demographic is. But yeah, those ones like kind of trip me up because I don't know grammar and stuff that well. So
0: yeah. Anyway, that's, that's just the me. hits and shits. Stop Do we have
1: any hits? Did we have any hits? I guess I kind of have a hit in whatever I chose for mine.
0: Oh yeah, my I did have a hit listed, and then I ended up using that as my topic this week. So, that's that. So should we flip a coin? We should flip the coin. We're gonna hop right into it. It's flipping, and it
1: is tails. tails. That's Grace, me. you're up. I'm up. Okay, so my clue. I just had it open, then I was okay. My clue is from The New Yorker, Monday, June 24th, by Anna Schechtman, yeah. and it is, look how I highlighted in gray. You are insane. Um, 40 Down, like the creatures, in quotes, in a landmark work of underground queer cinema, and the answer is flaming, flaming creatures. I almost picked this. I, I, I was worried that you might have picked it. Yeah, I almost picked this for my topic this week, but. I had never heard of it, which is why I picked no, it. No, I had not either, and I hadn't heard of the filmmaker either. No. And it's also um, Pride Month, so I figured fuck it, let's do it. Might as well. Yeah. Um, Okay. So, this is a short film, and it's on YouTube, by the way. If anyone wants to watch it, it's only 45 minutes long. Cool. Um, So, it was made in 1963. So, what's it called? Flaming Creatures is the name of the film. Oh, who's the director? I will tell you. Okay, sorry, sorry, sorry. Okay. okay. Uh, It was made in 1963. It's Considered an experimental film. The director's name Jack Smith. And it's made in 1963, but it's like a black and white silent film Mm -hmm. vibe. Uh, The characters are sexually ambiguous, including, this is from the article I read, Transvestites, Intersex, and Drag Performers. I just wanted to make a comment about the word transvestites, because I feel like this kind of comes up a lot, especially if you're a fan of Rocky Horror Picture Show, Rocky. Or no, not Rocky. Sorry, Dr. Frankenfurter is a transvestite, and he has his whole song "Sweet Transvestite," um, played by the amazing Tim Curry. And I feel like people get confused now if like transvestite is a good word to use. I feel like it's not really used anymore because so vestite comes from like the Latin word for clothes. So transvestite is basically a crossdresser. It's mm-hmm. someone who's wearing a different gender's clothing, mm-hmm. and it doesn't mean they identify as that gender. It just means they like like to dress, right now transgendered is someone who identifies as a different gender than what they were born as and they identify as a different gender um and right. that's like more you see like you don't really call someone a transvestite you would call them a crossdresser but a crossdresser is not a drag performer because a drag performer is someone who crossdresses just but for performance purposes yes so a lot of crossdressers are actually like straight men Mm-hmm. Who like to wear women's clothing, mm-hmm. um, not always in public, like sometimes in private. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then drag or straight like... or maybe not straight men, but just cis men. Yeah, you know. Well, but a lot of people was... think that they're it's like gay men like to do it, but it's very common for like straight cis men yeah. to cross dress. Mm-hmm. Cis being like you're born with like the male. Yeah, like gender, you you
0: yeah. identify as what you were born with, so I, I'm like a cis woman.
1: Yeah. So um, yeah, and then drag is just performing and i've talked about this i don't know if i mentioned this podcast maybe another one about friends if you've ever watched friends chandler's dad is played by a woman and they refer to him as him but he's also the dad is also a drag performer in vegas and lives his life as a woman comes to the wedding dressed as a woman and also is played by a woman, but they call him, like, a drag queen, which is, like, just wrong. I feel like that people get confused at, like, what the different things are. So yeah. whatever Chandler's dad is is, like, not a, a real type of person. Either make him, like, a transgender woman who performs in Vegas or a drag queen and then make it played by a man who then lives the rest of his life presenting as a man or, like, identifying as a man. Anyways, so now I've gone off on a tangent. No, but, I,
0: I totally yeah. – and I feel like I want to pop in here. Um, I – for people who are confused about like various identifications and like sexual identity, sex sexual preferences and gender identities, I just finished reading this book called This Book Is Gay by Juno Dawson, who is a very incredible writer and David Levithan, I believe. I can I don't know if David Levithan actually wrote with Juno or if was just an editor, mm-hmm. but it's a book that kind of tells you it's like the go-to guide for everything lgbtq plus plus whatever yeah that i wish i had in high school you know it's it tells you it it breaks down the differences between the terms transgender transsexual transvestite even it talks about these things and like yeah. what they are
1: um and so if you're any reason confused you should check it out it's very good
0: get at your local library
1: um okay so the movie is non-narrative and it's just a lot of cutaways so i, I watched Like most of it. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of cutaways to close ups of body parts, including flaccid wieners. A lot of those. (laughs) Yeah. Shock. Did you do this at work or (laughs) did you do it last night? Uh, No, I did it last night and then a little bit on the bus this morning. I was like covering my (laughs) phone, like, this is weird. But it's very like old. Like, I don't know. You just you should watch it. It's on YouTube now, and it was just on there, put on there a year ago, because before that was really hard to find. So you should watch it if Do you're interested. Do you know interested.
0: how it was put on YouTube? Did they, did they talk about how that happened?
1: No. Okay. Like, someone just put it on there, and people were commenting, like, how did you get this? Right. So I'll talk more about what happened to the film later. But, okay, so this is a, I just have a description of, like, the intro to the film. Um, I didn't write this, but the film opens with a credit sequence set to the soundtrack of Alibaba and the 40 Thieves, and the announcement Alibaba comes today. Two creatures lay in a garden and dance. Smith, the director, calls this the smirching sequence. Characters apply lipstick while a mock advertisement poses the question, is there a lipstick that doesn't come off when you suck wieners? (laughs) Two creatures chase each other, and one throws the other to the ground. Several creatures gather around her in a rape scene, that's what this description says, which grows into a large orgy. Um, the earth begins to quake and the creatures collapse. A vampire resembling Marilyn Monroe climbs out of a coffin and drains some of the lifeless creatures. This reignites the in the action and the creatures rise again to dance with one another.
0: I love vampires.
1: Yeah, a Marilyn Monroe vampire. Um, so that's like the opening of the movie. That's and just and the opening. Yeah, and it's all very strange like that. Um, Okay, so the production, it started, he started filming in 1962, and he would shoot during the weekend on the roof of the Windsor Theater in the Bronx. Mm -hmm. Um, He used out-of-date film. On purpose to give it that older, look. like it looks like it was filmed in the 1920s. Yeah, right. I did. I actually, when I was deciding whether or not I wanted to do this, I looked up the film and I saw
0: that it, it seemed it looked like it was filmed in the 20s, but it was in one the of the 60s. more experimental films of the 60s. Yeah.
1: Yeah. The working title was "Pasty Thighs and Moldy Midriffs." <laughs> oh my good name God, I love that. That we should change the name of our podcast. <laughs> um, and he also considered using "flaking moldy almond petals." Moldy Rapture or Aurora Femina, which I actually love. Yeah. I don't know why he was so into the mold part. Um the budget was three hundred dollars. Cool. This was in the sixties, so. Um okay. So then as far as screenings go, it premiered in nineteen sixty three as part of a double feature with the blonde cobra um at Bleecker Street Cinema in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. And then it was later also screened at Gramercy Theater in New York. And since it wasn't filmed, or submitted for licensing, it was free to go to, and the audiences were asked to donate to Love and Kisses for Censors Film Society, which is not, like, a real thing as far as I could research. Oh, okay. Um, okay. So then this is when things started getting crazy. So in 1963, Film Culture uh, voted to award Smith its independent film award for the film, and it rented out the Tivoli Theater, which is known for sexploitation films, which is like, wait, what's that? But it's just films that have, like, very, like, sexual content. Mm -hmm. And they planned a screening of Flaming Creatures, and then he also had another movie called Normal Love, and Andy Warhol's movie, Newsreel. Hmm. The theater canceled the event because Flaming Creatures was too obscene. So, hundreds of people gathered at the theater, and he was given his award. Smith was given the award in, like, an impromptu ceremony. Wow. Um, and then they occupied the Tivoli Theater, led by a woman named Barbara Rubin, and then the police came in. The police had to come and clear the building. Um, then there was another experimental film festival, the Nock Experimental Film Festival, and it re- in Belgium, and it rejected Flaming Creatures because it felt that it um, fell, it, it went against Belgium's obscenity laws, Hmm. And so in protest, this guy named Mechas, who's a filmmaker, resigned from the festival jury, and several American filmmakers threatened to withdraw their films. Mechas smuggled the film in a canister for another film called Stan Brackhug's Dog Starman, and he held private screenings in his hotel room. Wow. And then on New Year's Eve, Mecca's Barbara Rubin from Tivoli Theater and... Um, P. Adams-Sydney, who was another filmmaker, forced their way into a projection booth and screened a portion of the film. Times were wild. Yeah. People were, like, secretly watching this movie. Thanks Because they changed. weren't allowed to, like, yeah. even in experimental film festivals, it wasn't allowed. Is it because
0: of the, the content? Like, I mean, sexual content aside, is it because it was
1: gay content? Is was that added? I mean, it does show, like, straight up naked people. Okay. And, I... like, people touching their, like, flaccid wieners. Okay. Well, okay, so things are so different
0: now, (laughs) obviously. Like, you read about this, and, like, I can't imagine something like this happening. Oh, no. You know, and not just because, you know, culturally we've changed as people and, like, things you can – whatever. But with the Internet, there is no need to kind of hold these, like, impromptu or, like, protest screenings necessarily. I'm sure there are films – And I'm sure there are places in the world where this could still happen. But here in America, I feel like these protest films or like these experimental films are readily accessible and easily screened. Like if you can't get your experimental film protesting something or like talking about various civil liberties, you can screen it online and people will see it and then it'll become viral. And then you'll get a screening at like the
1: film center. Yeah. You know, like. No, it's definitely different now. Also, this stuff like I don't think would be considered obscene anymore. Right. Of course. Yeah. Um, okay, so then in 1964, filmmakers Cinemath- Cinemathic, Cinemathic, Cinemathic. Yeah. Um, they showed all the, those three films that were supposed to be at the Tivoli program at the New Bowery Theater um, in New York, and they called it our infamous surprise program. Hmm. But during the third showing, police stopped the event while *Flaming Creatures* was being screened, and they arrested Mecca's, Ken Jacobs, Florence Carp, and Jerry Sims, and they seized the reels, inclu- and the production equipment, including uh, Andy Warhol's film *News*. Was it *Newsreel*? Yeah. And um, they never returned it, and so people considered that film to be like lost or no sorry they would now returned the only print of warhouse film about the making of normal love and it's now considered lost wow yeah so they were arrested mecca's held a benefit screening um of another movie to raise money for legal defense for their arrest for mm-hmm. uh or for their upcoming trial for flaming creatures but he was arrested again <laughs> so oh. then yeah. So a civil rights lawyer named Emile Zola Berman accepted the case thinking it would maybe go to the U.S. Supreme Court. It never did, though. It just it stayed in the New York Supreme Court. And they had a bunch of people come and give, like, defense testimony, testimonies. Susan Sontag was one of them. She was, like, a critic who wrote about this a lot. Mm-hmm. So she gave a defense testimony. And eventually the convictions were reversed. Um, the New York Supreme Court on the basis of on good faith that the film was not obscene. And then, they were
0: basically just arrested because the film was obscene and like yeah. that's what they were fighting. Okay. And then yeah. they were
1: like, wait, it's fine, whatever. I guess it's not obscene. And then 50 years later, the prosecutor wrote Mecca's an apology who said, although my appreciation of free expression and aversion to censorship developed more fully as I matured, I should have sooner acted more courageously. Interesting. Yeah. So it's kind of nice. Um, okay, so after that, there were other screenings. So in 1965... Um, Students at the University of New Mexico tried to do an on, off-campus screening, but it was raided by the police who seized the print. Oh, my God. Um, in 1966, the UT Austin chapter of mm-hmm. Students for a Democratic Society also tried to screen it, but it was broken up. In 1967, there was a screening at the University of Michigan, um, but they also confiscated the film and arrested four students, and oh. it triggered a protest and sit-in by students. Mm-hmm. Um Times are wild. And then at the University of Notre Dame had a pornography and censorship conference, which is... Huh? Yeah, I don't know. Um, in 1969, of course. Um, and the screening was canceled. And then when the students attempted to screen the permitted films, police came in, interrupted the event, and it led to the school's first known violent conflict between police and students. Wow. So, yeah, it caused quite a stir. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so then way later on in life... Smith. In life. Smith the director and Mecca's, who was like this guy who was champion championing this movie, they had a big fight. Smith accused Mecca's of stealing the original Flaming Creatures um, on behalf of the anthology film archives. Um so it was the print was actually lost until 1978, when a guy named Jerry Tartaglia found it in a discarded pile of scrap and returned it to Smith, the director. Wow. But it wasn't until after Smith's death in 1989 that larger institutions began to screen Flaming Creatures. Mm -hmm. Um, So the critic Jay Haberman and performer Penny Arcade, um, they saved Smith's belongings and like restored the film, a project that took five years. Wow. The New York Film Festival showed it in 1991, and then the Museum of the Moving Image, which Mm -hmm. is a museum that's right by my sister's house in oh, queens yeah, yeah. Um, i've always wanted to go there but i never i went to mm-hmm. school in connecticut and me and my friend always wanted to go down there and we we're like we don't want to take the train into queens right now i know i've never gone there as many times as i've been there it's yeah. literally like a block away from my sister's apartment um they included it in a 1997 retrospective of smith's work so it took a long time for it to finally be shown places yeah um, and then i thought this is kind of interesting so uh, In 1968, a man named Abe Fortas was nominated to be Chief Justice of the United States, and he had supported reversing the Flaming Creatures convictions. So, this guy, a senator named James Eastland, who didn't want Abe Fortas to get the nomination, requested that the print be seized at the University of Michigan and sent to Washington, D.C. And then uh, James Clancy, who represents citizens for decent literature, like... Do something better with your life. Um, no. <laughs> he showed the film to, among other material, to the senators to show them what Fortas uh, thinks does not constitute obscenity. So they're kind of saying, like, oh, this guy doesn't think this movie is obscene. Like, you should, like, this is what he thinks is fine. I'm rolling my eyes. And they show this movie. And then Pat Buchanan, who um, was Nixon's advisor, mm-hmm. he says that he thinks this ruined, ruined uh, Fortas's nomination because he never, he didn't become. Chief Justice. God. Yeah. So the movie made a big people impact. People really better, hated gay- yeah. Like, really, like, oh, my God. But that's so catty to be like, well, he, I'm sure they're like, he loves this movie. Like, he doesn't think there's anything wrong with it at right. all. When yeah. really he was probably just like, okay, I'm not going to arrest these people for making a movie. Right. Right. No. Like, yeah. the movie is not obscene. It's, they're not, like, murdering anyone in the movie. Like, it's right. just expression. Well, this is, yeah.
0: Well, this is in the time when, you know, being gays like a yeah. massive crime and I mean it kind of like puts things in perspective yeah a little bit but it also makes you think like I'm thinking about current films that are out right now and Bohemian Rhapsody for instance mm-hmm. and how they first of all how they portray gay relationship gay relationships secondly how they the ratings that the films are given and whether or not they actually show intercourse between gay men and it's like people are so worried about or they, they're so judgmental and they believe that gay sex in general or anything to do with, I don't know, sex between a man and a woman or, you know, a woman being raped or any yeah. number of violent acts towards women. But, you know, like,
1: you know, I do have to say I laughed at the image of all these senators watching <laughs> <laughs> this movie. Like, well, that that certainly is obscene. <laughs> and then they're like
0: going home. They're like, I need to see that film. Okay, we're going to get my hands on it. <laughs> Well, that's interesting. I, yeah. I do want to watch it. I yeah. feel like I, for going through film school, I have a severe lack of knowledge of gay or queer cinema, I should mm-hmm.
1: say. Um, well, I've never even heard of this before.
0: I haven't either. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I definitely will be looking more into it. If anybody who is listening has any suggestions for, like queer cinema throughout the ages or just articles or places to kind of get a start i would love to know broke back mountain
1: broke back (laughs) mountain
0: that was like my intro to queer cinema okay like when i was in high school and i was like wait
1: (laughs) they can do that is this allowed is this allowed
0: (laughs) yeah seriously
1: (laughs) i don't know what my first well rocky horror picture show but i was watching that when i was really young because my sister did it in like a uh at this day camp like a theater Mm -hmm. camp they did sign language to uh time warp so then we learned from there and we were like well let's just watch the movie and it was oh. on tv and i was like <laughs> uh, i was like in elementary school right so i was like oh and i watched a lot of jerry springer too so i also saw gay relationships there they were showing that stuff like you know back in right. the 90s i it. not watched saying it was song. like the best representation right. but no, it was still sure. on tv yeah, yeah yeah
0: um no i think that definitely wasn't my – Brokeback Mountain was not my first introduction to, like, gay life or culture or queer people in general. But it, I think it was the first time – You saw it. Yeah, it, but unless you count, like, Rebel Without a Cause and James Dean's relationship with that other character, it was so, like, homoerotic in a way that I was like, oh, my God, why is he with Natalie <laughs> Wood? Like, can't he be with this character instead? I remember thinking that. I'm like, is that weird to think? And I'm like, no, this is purposely homoerotic, Right? Right? Am I crazy? And then I was like, it took me ages to realize, like, oh, no, you're just gay, so. (laughs) Anyway, um, thanks for that. Yeah. I guess we can hop into mine. Okay. (laughs) You can do it. (laughs) Thank you for your support. All right, so um, my topic this week is suet.
1: Ooh. Oh, yeah, you (laughs) tweeted about that. I'm like, what's she talking about? (laughs) Okay, so I like to it, it look more into. I was like, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> so
0: I was originally just gonna include my excitement about that word in my hits and shits because I really do like that word a lot. Um, but then as I was kind of doing more research about it, I was like, you know, fuck it. We're gonna talk about suet this week. Can you I, spell it for everyone? Yes, suet is S U E T. Okay, and like,
1: like I duet.
0: Yes, I have a thing for words <laughs> whose letters are at least half vowels. So like,
1: (laughs) (laughs) all right, not not what you're into,
0: but (laughs) like aria is a great word because three of the four letters are vowels and I love that. Or like Oreo, I I just really am drawn to words with lots of vowels in them. Suet being one of them. And I'm wondering if this is like a sect of logophilia, which is like a love of words. (laughs) I don't know, but it's just, I'm really drawn to them. And especially with names, like I really like the name Emma or like Oliver, you know, because there's lots of vowels. I also like names that start with vowels. Anyway, this is getting (laughs) off topic, but this is what has propelled me to choose this topic, suet. It it was in the New York Times crossword on Tuesday, June 25th. The constructor was Alex Eaton Salners, I guess, which those are all pretty good names.
1: (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. She's gotten all hot and bothered (laughs) because there's a bunch of vowels in those
0: names. (laughs) Um, And this is from that puzzle with the annoying um, puzzleism theme. Or pointillism theme, puzzleism, puzzle-ism. <laughs> lol. Uh, anyway, okay. So, um, if you're interested in like suet recipes, or can you? What is suet? Oh, okay. For <laughs> okay, 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 okay. I'll start. Let Let's just back up. I first heard of the of suet as a thing through watching Great British Bake Off, which I know you don't watch. I don't watch.
1: You know what? I need more if I'm going to be watching reality TV, I need more drama. Great no, British Bake Off is like No. So, I know people are not going to agree is this unpopular opinion cuz people love the show, but like I don't know why I'm even friends with you.
0: I just I look at you sometimes and I know that you don't watch Great British Bake Off, it basically means you hate me.
1: I'm not that into cooking competition shows. Like I which like I, can get. I like chopped, but because you like the drama. I hate it I chop. like the drama. Yeah, when they're like, you have to make this whole dinner with, like, just popsicle sticks or something. Yeah. Like, that's I your hate, only utensil. I'm like, yes. I hate that.
0: The reason I like Great British Bake Off is because it's like a respite in this crazy demon hellhole existence we live in. Not Earth. Well, why don't but... you just read the Bible? <laughs> You're right. I'll just pick up and start where I left off in Revelations. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so, suet. They use it a lot in ba- use it a lot in baking, especially in. Oh no!
1: This is another cooking England.
0: Yes, I'm so excited. Buckle in, people. Um, so, suet so is basically a fat, and I'll get into what exactly it is. But fat is super important in baking um, and common, um, and it has a bunch of different functions depending on what it is you're making. For instance, fat provides like in bread, fat provides flavor and it moistens the dough and it helps it to retain gases that are released during baking, which bacon. Bacon. bacon, bacon. Y'all ever been baking bacon your bread before? The gases
1: are releasing, <laughs> um, and
0: uh, fat helps to like make sure that you have a risen loaf. <laughs> a loaf. I like that word too. It's got a, yeah. Loaf is a good word. Yeah, it has two vowels. Anyway, um, so in cake, depending on the method you're using, creaming or all in one depends on what the fat is used for. So if you're creaming, the fat is beaten in with the sugar until it becomes light and, light and fluffy,
1: uh-huh. and it.
0: Like, during this process, air is being incorporated into the batter so that the volume increases. Um, And it's important because, like, doing this, increasing the volumes, forms these sites or nuclei in which other gases enter and expand on heating, okay? And so that's why it, like, keeps the batter stable, but it also, like, produces, like, a light risen cake. Uh Uh-huh. Okay, that's what fat does if you're doing the creaming method.
1: Is this why when I put LaCroix in my – oh, no. Well, do you ever just put LaCroix in a funfetti box cake? I did not. It works, baby. You don't need – they only. Put, they say you need – the government says you need to put, like, eggs and oil or whatever in box cakes, but you don't. You just need to make <laughs> the powder, like, the right, like, wet consistency. Put a LaCroix in there, good to go. Makes it vegan, too. Fun nice. fact. If you have vegan friends that, so wait, that need a dessert, it? yeah, you bake it like normal. Nice, and but it has like gas bubbles from the Lacroix. We
0: can look into that.
1: I don't need to look into it. I've done it. Well, I mean, like, what is it, is it like Lacroix <laughs> La that it. makes it rise? Well, I don't know. No, yeah, with any, you can do any soda. Interesting, but yeah. Lacroix is like. I just do Lacroix because usually you have it. Yeah. Okay. That's why. Cool. If you were healthier, like you know, like you, you want to put a whole dock pepper in there. <laughs>
0: I'll put a Pepsi in my next. This is how cake. I cook or yeah. bake.
1: These people are doing too many steps. <laughs> they make the box cake for you. I
0: hate her. Anyway, if you were to do the all-in-one method of baking a cake, um, I I don't. You do so basically a cake a box mix is basically the all-in-one except everything's already there okay. for you. It's yeah, you but like who's
1: putting it there. Me. Yeah. The government. <laughs> and it doesn't. The government delivers. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So an all-in-one method is when you mix all the liquid ingredients with baking soda in one bowl, and all the dry ingredients with baking powder in another bowl. And so then when you combine those two, it's the baking soda and the baking powder that make the cake rise. Um, and the fat has no aeration function, so it doesn't like help the rise factor or like make it like like fluffy.
1: So what? It's just there. For but it helps
0: to retain gases released during baking, and it provides a good texture.
1: All right. Okay. So fat absorbs the gas. Yeah.
0: Cool. I wish it absorbed my gas.
1: I know. I didn't realize that (laughs) cake had so much gas. Oh, yeah. It explains everything.
0: It explains. Okay. So what is suet? We've already talked about it being a fat.
1: Wait. What was the clue in the crossword? Oh,
0: the clue. (laughs) I guess I could give you that. The clue was um, ingredient in plum pudding. Four letters. Answer suet. Oh. Okay. I
1: thought it was plum (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I knew it wasn't plum, okay, because it was in the question. Ha, but I was ha, like, ha, ingredient, ha. plum pudding. Yeah. Um, you're loaves. about to learn today. So what is
0: suet? Suet is the raw, hard fat of beef or mutton, which is lamb,
1: found around the loins and kidney. That does not make your cake vegan, by the way. <laughs>
0: it does not. There's tons of people online that are asking, like, if I use suet, is my cake vegan? And the answer's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> like, what
1: the... <laughs> But it's just, it's not meat, though.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Okay. So it has a melting point between 113 and 122 degrees Fahrenheit and a congelation point between 98.6 degrees Fahrenheit and 104 degrees Fahrenheit, which is like the temperature you kind of like hover in. Your whole adult life, you know, 98.6 to 104. 104 is the high end, like, if you have a fever. So you're saying
1: my fat <laughs> is congealed?
0: The suet can congeal at those temperatures. Well, but
1: don't we have suet?
0: It's uh, beef or mutton.
1: Well, I have loins and kidneys. But you're not
0: a beef or a mutton. Well, you don't know that. <laughs> Wouldn't that be surprising if she <laughs> turns out? I could be so sure. Grace is just We're a cow. We're all mammals here. <laughs>
1: A talking cow, <laughs> yeah, like a Mr. Ed type of situation.
0: Um, okay, so it has a high smoke point, which is makes it ideal for deep frying and pastry production.
1: Dude, you got to be careful with those high smoke points.
0: Um, because if you're familiar with making pastry, like certain types of pastry, you need to make sure that the fat doesn't melt when you're making
1: the pastry. And set off your freaking fire detector. Because if
0: it melts, then you won't get the light and flaky layers, which is really important for a lot of pastries. You can just buy a pastry at a <laughs> local bakery. <laughs> Shut up. Okay, so the primary use of suet is to make tallow, which I'll talk about in a little bit. Although you can also use it as an ingredient in cooking, especially in traditional puddings such as the British Christmas pudding. Um, and oh, so.
1: Sorry, I just feel like that's not good. <laughs> <laughs> I can just tell from the name. <laughs> we have
0: an aversion for all things British here. That's a lie. I love Great British Bake no. Off, and I love British people. I love it. I like.
1: British people, but I don't think British people are known for their food. I'm just saying it. And I feel like the world would agree.
0: There there will be people in the world that would agree with you.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's just me.
0: Yes. Okay. 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 So in the United Kingdom, and some Commonwealth countries, the word pudding can be used to describe both sweet and savory dishes. Okay. Mm. Yeah. There isn't like one definition of quote unquote pudding in England. It's not like pudding is this. Um, It's a broad term, and it encapsulates a lot of different dishes, but there are some commonalities. Unless it's qualified, using, quote, pudding in everyday conversation is usually just referring to a general dessert. So, like, let's grab a pudding, and then you're, like, going to go get it. You're like,
1: what, a cake or pudding? But, yeah, the thing
0: is, pudding can be cake, but pudding can also be sausage.
1: What? People are having sausage for dessert? That's usually a
0: savory pudding, but you can also have a savory pudding cake. Okay.
1: Like a sausage cake?
0: <laughs> you could have sausage in your cake, which is also a pudding. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So, in the United Kingdom... <laughs> I don't know about all this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm trying to tell you about all this. So, okay. So, in the United Kingdom, pudding can be used as a synonym for a dessert course, but dessert pudding is not the only type of pudding. So, dessert puddings are rich starch or dairy-based desserts, such as rice pudding, steamed cake mixtures, treacle sponge puddings, or Christmas puddings, savory puddings... Include Yorkshire pudding, black pudding, suet pudding, and steak and kidney pudding.
1: Oh no! (laughs) (laughs) Steak pudding? Like. (laughs) You have to,
0: you have to take your idea of like an American pudding and let that just flow away from you. That I, don't even, we, I
1: don't like, I really don't like pudding. I, I, I don't pudding.
0: like American pudding either. But that's not what we're talking about. You would probably eat some of these uh, British pudding dishes. What
1: is? Okay, I'm gonna. are gonna have there.
0: to research a steak pudding and look. at I'm a gonna tell it. you what a steak pudding is. Okay. So in the United States and some parts of Canada, pudding usually means sweet milk based desserts similar to like custards or mousse and often set using cornstarch gelatin or some other collagen
1: it's all jiggly
0: yeah like Jell-O brand for instance uh, but gelatin is not a fat just so y'all know gelatin gelatin is a protein mate but it is still made from animal parts
1: yeah it's made from horse hooves so it's not vegan either. it is
0: not i actually was working at a movie theater once and someone was vegan and they didn't want they couldn't eat a certain candy that came with the combo that they ordered and so they requested skittles And I was like, ma'am, there's gelatin and Skittles. And she refused to listen to me, and she took the Skittles.
1: Swedish fish are vegan. So. Because they don't have animal gelatin. I'm not even vegan. I just know a lot about this. Yes. But I'm not vegan. Anyway. For the record. Anyway. So if you see me eating gummy bears, don't come for me.
0: I won't. Okay.
1: (laughs) Because you have before, and it was very hurtful. Yeah. (laughs)
0: Have I really? No. Okay. (laughs) Shut up. All right. Um. So Christmas pudding is a type of pudding traditionally served in the UK as part of Christmas dinner. Um, and it has origins in medieval England and s- sometimes known as plum pudding or just pud. Um, oh, though no. this, though p- pudding or pud can also just refer to any kinds of boiled pudding involving <laughs> dried fruit.
1: No, absolutely not. You probably like some no, of these. No, I don't. I don't like Okay. I'm not a big fruit fan, especially now when it's all mushed. It's together. not
0: plum. It's not plum. That's okay. So here we go. Despite the name plum pudding, the pudding contains no actual plums due to pre-Victorian use of the word plums meaning raisins. Do you like raisins? No. Okay, I don't like raisins either. But I
1: don't mind them if they're in other stuff. But yeah. I wouldn't just like eat a handful of raisins. no. But like also, I, mean, I was really hungry. I mean,
0: we both really love cinnamon raisin bagels. We do, but. Yeah, if you came down the stairs and you were like, would you like a handful of raisins, kid? And I'd be like, can
1: you get that out of my face? I hate raisins. It's strange. It's a strange world we live in. I I don't hate that. I just would never, like, reach for them. I wouldn't go out of my way. No, and I also hate when people
0: put raisins in trail mix. Like, what's...
1: Are you you trying to kill me? Just give me a bag of M&M's. That's all I care
0: about. (laughs) And, like, pretzels. Yeah, I'll take, like, I'll take some pistachios and a pretzel. Like, I don't need any raisins. Yeah. Oh, uh, okay. So we're going to talk a little bit more about, like, the history of suet and some other dishes you can make and, like, how you make it. But suet is also used to make tallow, okay? Um, it's made into tallow in a process called rendering, which involves melting the suet, extended simmering, followed by straining, cooling it down, and then usually repeating the process. So unlike tallow, suet is not pre-packed. And it requires refrigeration in order to be stored for extended periods. What's tallow? Tallow is rendered suet, which is beef or mutton fat, and it's um, mainly used in soap and animal feed. Oh. Okay. Um, but you can also use it. You can use it in cooking as like a sort of shortening. You know, like a Crisco sort of.
1: Are vibe? they feeding this tallow stuff to cows?
0: I don't actually know. That's
1: a really good question. So they're eating their own
0: their own loin fat well if anybody actually knows if he, what do people feed tallow to
1: please leave us a review <laughs> thank you
0: um, uh, but you can also use tallow um, to make indigenous foods in North America one of them being pemmican which is a concentrated mixture of fat and protein like whatever's available and like the protein could be bison deer elk moose mm-hmm. um, including like fruits of like cranberries and S- saskatoon berries mm-hmm. with this I fat. love
1: saskatoon
0: berries.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you always start your day off with a big bowl of saskatoon, saskatoon berries. berries.
0: Oh, Lord. Anyway, so that's suet. Suet's like all this fat. It's great. Okay, so history of suet. Um, so suet's always been around because, like, cows have been around,
1: you know? Have they? <laughs> <laughs> that's what the um, government wants you to think. Right? We didn't just create we don't them for our the own We don't the government use. on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Um, Okay, so suet was first recorded in a recipe in the early 17th century, which is like the 1600s for those out there who don't know. I always do the qualification in my head. I know, it's like, wait a minute, it's the one before. (laughs) Um, So it was was used in the, quote, English college pudding and served to students at Oxford and Cambridge since 1617. Although there are origins of traditional Christmas puddings that can be traced back a further 200 years, um, which is... To the
1: 1420s. So English college had their own pudding. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, if you're going to Oxford the Cambridge. The only
1: University pudding. <laughs> Not
0: even. Um, and then since that point, since the 17th century, Sue, so it was like a major recurring term in any cookbook, basically. Especially mm-hmm. in the 1800s, American and English cookbooks. Um, so it's... Has always been a super important ingredient in English cooking and it's still used today there. Like you can go to the grocery store and they have like packaged suet, but like you cannot really find suet at the grocery stores here. You have to go to like a butcher. Yeah. Um, in David Steele's 1975 book, The Ship Master's Accountant, um, it explains how sailors were issued flour currants, which are like a type of raisin basically, and suet one day a week, Sunday, according to other texts, in lieu of their normal ration of beef. And with those ingredients, the men would make plum duff, a simple boiled plum pudding. Um, So suet has (laughs) other numerous culinary uses in the 18th century as well, and like you could use it for medicinal ointments, um, lamp oil, soap, leather tre- treatments, such as Dubbin, which is what waterproofs leather.
1: Oh.
0: Um, Maria Rundle had an 1807 cookbook called A New System of Domestic Cookery, <laughs> which is a great title. <laughs> Domestic
1: cookery, is it? Yeah.
0: That... I love that.
1: Another good band name.
0: Cookery is a great word, too. Look at all those vowels. There's three of them. And a Y, if you count the Y. then it'd be four. Sometimes Y. Um, so in that book, she uses suet for a couple recipes. That she called pomatum, which is the 18th century version of pomade, um, and she also said that it can be u- suet can be used as a rust inhibitor of metal pots and utensils. Oh. Um, in 1749, there's a book called English Housewifery.
1: <laughs> which, nice. Yeah.
0: By Elizabeth Moxham.
1: Housewifery and cookery. Yeah.
0: Um, is Elizabeth Moxham wrote these really interesting ingredients for how to make carbon paper.
1: And he, I'm going to read it to you. Carbon to, paper, that's like when you can write on it and then it makes a copy. Correct,
0: yeah. To make black paper for drawing patterns, take a quarter pound of mutton, suet. F- it looks like f- with an F there, but it's suet, and one ounce of beeswax, melt both together and put in as much lamp black as will color it dark enough. Then spread it over your paper with a rag and hold it to the fire to make it smooth.
1: That's how you make if you want to make your own carbon paper. <laughs> there you go.
0: All you need is mutton fat, beeswax, and lamp, lamp black, black, and paper with a rag. Can I borrow some lamp and, black? And a fire, because you have to hold it over the fire to make it smooth. Um, so, yeah. Well, who knew? It was so useful. Right? Um, so, what can you use suet in? Sweet or savory dishes and some popular dishes, too. Um, black pudding. Are you familiar with black pudding? No. Okay, it's a type of blood sausage originating in the United Kingdom and Ireland. It is made from pork blood, with pork fat or beef suet, and a cereal, usually oatmeal. Um, and so the high proportion of cereal, along with the use of certain herbs such as pennyroyal, which is a type of mint, um, serves to distinguish black pudding from blood sausages eaten in other parts of the world. So you, it's made usually by stirring the fresh blood, adding fat and some of the and some rusk, which is like a wheat-based food additive thing seasoning, and then you fill it into a casing, and then you boil it. The One of these common things with all these suet-type dishes is usually boiling or steaming it because of the way that the suet is um, distributed throughout, like, either, like, the sausage or the cake or pastry mixture. When you have suet, it comes, like, hard-packed, and you have to crumble it
1: mm-hmm. into
0: little pieces. Not like – it's not unlike, sh- like, when you're shredding cheese or something, you know? Yeah. Um, And so when that just distributes throughout the batter, it holds there because it has such a high melting point so that it's very late in the process of the baking that the suet will kind of melt and disperse and create these, like, pockets in the whatever. Mm -hmm. So that's a fun fact. I can't even remember why I went on that tangent.
1: (laughs) I don't know either. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um, Oh, yeah. So that – anyway, so I I believe that that because of – The way suet has that high melting point, that's why people boil it.
1: Oh. Oh, right. That's why.
0: (laughs) Or steam it. I don't actually have the answer, but that's just like me pontificating to you in the microphone here. Um, Spotted dick. Oh, no. You can make spotted dick, Um, which is actually a steamed cake. Oh. Okay.
1: Is that an English thing?
0: Yes. All of these are mainly from the United Kingdom. Uh, So it's traditionally made with suet and dried fruit, usually currants and or raisins, and served with custard. Non-traditional variants. Um... Replace suet with other fats, such as butter, or include eggs to make something similar to a sponge, pudding, or cake. Um, So this originated, this recipe can be traced back to Alexis Sawyer's The Modern Housewife or Menagerie, published in 1849. And so to kind of give you some information about why it's called Spotted Dick. um, While spotted is a clear reference to the dried fruit in the pudding, um, because they resemble spots, dick or dog were dialectal terms widely used for pudding, from the same <laughs> entomology as dough
1: okay but they yeah. haven't changed it they yeah still no. it dough.
0: it's actually funny there's um, a plate I can't remember what the restaurant or the, whatever they had like a spotted dick and people would just joke and joke and joke about it especially more contemporarily Yeah, and so they changed it to spotted Richard instead <laughs> <laughs> nice yeah at okay. the time yeah. Haggis. Are you familiar with haggis? It sounds kind of familiar. Yeah. So haggis is a savory pudding containing sheep's pluck.
1: Oh yes, I have heard.
0: Which of is heart, liver, and lungs, minced with onions, oatmeal, suet, spices, and salt. She is not having no. a good day. Um, you mix it with stock, and it's cooked while traditionally encased in an, the animal's stomach. Though so now it's used mainly artificial casings, and then you boil it in that casing. Um, the first known written recipes for this dish, for a dish of this name, um. Made with offal, which are the entrails and internal organs of an animal. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's made with offal and herbs are haggis in the verse cookbook Liber Cure Cucurum, dating around 1430 in Lancaster, Lancashire, northwest England. Um, when I was reading about haggis, I was thinking, oh, my God, this reminds me so much of scrapple. Do you know what scrapple is? No. Scrapple is like a – it's a breakfast food traditional to the South Philly, South Jersey area, Mm -hmm. and I was raised on Scrapple, and when I moved even just up to Connecticut in New England, just a couple states away, three hours away, they were like, huh, what the fuck is Scrapple? Is it haggis? It's similar in that it's um, it's like a mush of pork scraps Mm -hmm. combined with an oat, so cornmeal and wheat flour, or buckwheat and spices, and then it's formed into, like, a loaf and cooked. So it's very similar in that you're just using, like, the leftover parts. Parts.
1: I remember why I know about haggis, because they went to, like, Scotland in the Bachelorette, and they ate that there.
0: Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, not surprising. Um, according to the Pennsylvania Dutch, Scrapple is also known as Pan Rabbit, which I thought was interesting for all of my South Jersey
1: listeners out there. Philly listeners
0: out there. Um, Okay, you can also make treckle pudding with suet. And actually, this sounds pretty good. It's a traditional dessert dish consisting of a steamed sponge cake. It's just cake Mm -hmm. with uh, treckle on top of it, which is like just a dark, thick syrup. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you serve it with custard. (laughs) Give it to me, baby. (laughs) Um, Okay, so cludy is a traditional dessert pudding called cludy dumpling, um, often. And it's made with flour, breadcrumbs, dried fruits, like just sultanas and currants, which are just fucking raisins for Christ's sake, um, suet, sugar, and spice with some milk to bind it, and sometimes syrup. And so their milk's mixed into a dough, wrapped up in a flour cloth, placed in a large pan of boiling water, simmered for a couple hours before being lifted out and dried near the fire or an oven. It's just a bunch of steamed and boiled cakes baby
1: mm, i love my cakes boiled <laughs> it just like it's there's
0: nothing appetizing about saying i'm gonna boil a cake tonight no. honey <laughs>
1: no, basically nothing tastes good boiled except for like hard boiled eggs maybe like pasta tastes good boiled yeah true but i mean like boiled chicken like i feel like when there's <laughs> other options to, yeah. like boiled fish i feel like there's just so many <laughs> tastier options to it, ways true. to cook things yeah
0: okay so jam roly-poly also known as shirt sleeve pudding, dead man's arm, or dead man's leg, because it was often steamed and served in an old shirt sleeve. Ew. I, yeah, I just, yeah. I guess, like, if that's what you had, then, like, they guess have what you had more
1: shirt sleeves than, like, plates. I mean, <laughs> I feel like you would eventually run out. Yeah.
0: Um, so it's a traditional. British pudding, and it was uh, first created in the early 19th century. That's the 1800s. Um, it is a flat-rolled suet pudding and then pressed with jam and rolled up. It's basically a Swiss roll, like a steamed Swiss roll. Mm. Um, and then we're going to get to the steak and kidney pudding. It's a savory pudding made by enclosing diced beef steak and lamb or pig's kidney pieces in gravy in a suet pastry. It's like like an empanada. It's like an empanada, except okay. it stands up. It's more like tall. Okay, I don't know.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, I like meat encased in bread. Yeah, can't go wrong. I know,
0: but now that I've broken down to yeah. you what suet is and like all this stuff,
1: I know it's well. Okay, for this, I'm only bringing this up because it came up the other day. When we were talking, people were talking about dogs eating dogs. In, oh yeah, in let's talk about East this. Asian countries, and it makes me mad when people are like, "I can't believe they eat dogs over there." I'm like, unless you are vegan and fight the animal cruelty that happens in your own country or these other first world countries like England who are taking these animals like livers and kidneys or whatever, then you cannot be saying anything about another country that does it to another animal. Because at the end of the day, yes, like we are ingrained to think that dogs are pets and cute or whatever, but a dog and a pig have the same amount of like sentient abilities. Pigs are smarter than dogs, but like we don't think it's wrong to, you know, torture pigs this way in and, and like yeah so, and and the the cruelty that goes on in the like we have factory farming which is way more cruel to these animals than whatever is going on in those other countries with mm-hmm. dogs and stuff and it's like certain countries in South America they eat guinea pigs which is like another pet we have here and people are can be like up in arms about that but it's like no one animal is like more deserving of life than, than another, another. Yeah. Mm-hmm. so you can't be like pointing fingers at these other countries for being like quote unquote barbaric when we do the same things just to different animals yeah. i mean like you can't
0: see it because it's in a factory in the middle of like middle of fucking america like yeah
1: shut your mouth get off your high horse exactly and like we eat cows here and in other countries they like cows are sacred so they could think that we are like barbaric animals for treating cows right not only
0: like saying things like oh i can't believe they eat dogs over there it's It's, like, an inherently
1: racist statement and
0: and uneducated.
1: Yeah. So So if you find yourself thinking that way, then maybe work on, like, the animal cruelty going on in your own country before you start pointing fingers at
0: other countries, other other nations. Yeah.
1: Yeah. There was, like, this girl from The Bachelorette who adopted a dog from Korea, and she was like, I adopted this golden retriever. They're, like, beaten up in Korea because they take it so easily, like, so people like to beat them up. So I rescued him and saved him. I'm like... Get over yourself. Shut like, up. there are so many dogs that need to be rescued in the States, but you you don't – I mean, it's fine, whatever. Like, rescue the dog from wherever you want, but then don't be saying all of these things about how K- Koreans like to beat up golden retrievers. Like, like, like bullshit? Yeah. Yeah, it's like, that really okay, yeah, but we like to keep
0: orca whales in, like – Bathtubs. Bathtubs. Yeah. Yeah, so, hmm,
1: what have you done for the orcas? Anyway, yeah, yeah
0: we could go on for ages about this.
1: Not – like, obviously, we aren't champions of, like, animal We do since what we can. Since we eat meat and stuff, yeah. like, we don't have any room. But also, then, we don't talk about how other countries treat animals because, like, right. we have no room to talk about that. Right, yeah. So, it's just, like, check your privilege. You yeah. Know? Anyways.
0: Um, so that's suet. <laughs> that's suet. <laughs> I actually was so excited doing the research for suet. I was originally going to do Joan Jett, um, but I changed my mind because suet called to me
1: we get excited over different things we do
0: i get really excited about like random food shit and she's like i'm Whoa. like
1: flaccid peens and <laughs> that they showed a bunch of senators <laughs> i'm in
0: <laughs> oh well this was a good one um thanks for listening um
1: we are the good evening girls you please rate and review us it's very very important to get please us on new please. noteworthy we love you and follow us on twitter yeah we do try to be fun
0: on twitter but we uh you never know you never know what you're going to get. We're Gra- mostly fun on there. Yeah, Grace sometimes accidentally uh, reshares or retweets. A- I think
1: I'm on my... I don't know how to use Twitter. Please follow <laughs> me. I have, like, three followers. But I will, like, start... Mm-hmm. I think I'm on my profile, yeah. and I'm, like, retweeting all these memes. <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, crap. Yeah. I'm on our, like, <laughs> professional... <laughs> doesn't matter. That's
0: fine. It doesn't matter. This is who we are. If you don't like it, then try to. Then just
1: please still leave us a review. Yeah. And you <laughs> can
0: find us on Twitter at... At the Good Eve Girls, or on Instagram at the Good Evening Girls, um, and we would really appreciate if you followed and let us know your thoughts. And if we fuck something up, we'll put you in the next corrections corner, kid. Thanks for listening. I'm Chelsea. I'm Grace. Bye. Bye.